In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. It's a rare podcast where all three of us are on together. And if you can't see this podcast, I would like to highlight that Ian doesn't have his top on, but, oh my God, look at their muscles. But the last time someone was on this podcast with his top off, they got a correct predictions, which was what, Jack? I made a bold prediction the day before we played the Hugh Jackson coordinated Bengals that Demarius Randall, if he made a pick, would run over to the sideline and hand Hugh Jackson the ball. And a day later, it happened. So, Ian, I want you to think during the podcast of a prediction that could, no, which is absolutely drastic, but then has to come true. So uh, We want spicy. I'll yeah. think I'll think of something. I'll think of something. All right, great. For look, we've got lots of top things to talk about. We haven't been on for a couple of weeks. Like to apologize. We are the down season at the moment. There isn't a lot of news. Let's go with the big news first of all, though. And Juku sign in. Jack, how far off of your prediction? Um uh, hey, if we went into the off season, I said tag him and let him play on it. Um, it's certainly where I'd have been from the view there. We still don't have the contract breakdown. Um, I've put a projection on Twitter based on some of the numbers that have come out through various means, including um, we're big fans of him here. Joel Corey's podcast um, had some of the numbers. He said he didn't have the full breakdown, but I've taken that, used a bit of like what the Browns tend to do and uh, pumped that out on Twitter. So if you're looking for it, go find it on Twitter. It, the next contract we're going to talk about are nailed um, to the dollar, but... Uh, this one I feel pretty good about. Ian, how do you feel about Njuku coming back? I think it's one of those ones where when you look at the number and you look at what he has done production-wise, it's hard to justify the amount of money, right? And I think Corey made the same point is the Browns are paying for potential, not for performance that's already happened with Njoku. And, you know, it sounds like you know, based on what Joel was saying, and you can tell Jack, I think he got that directly from the agent because there was a lot of very specific information in there. It sounds like if Najoku makes like first team all pro and some of these other ones, which I don't think anybody's going to be unhappy if he actually does earn these accolades, that's how he's going to realize the 56 million or 57 million, depending on what agency's reporting it. He was saying that's on top. So um, that'll be an interesting one to see. So he was saying that, half a million of incentives on top each year for a mixture of playoff and all pro. I don't know if it's 250,000 of each or what. The the interesting thing I think he pointed out, and Jack, I know I sent you a note about it. So he talked about the difference in structure that the Browns had with Austin Hooper's contract being mainly front-loaded. Corey even kind of suggested at this point that Hooper may have been the better play given the fact that he had accrued so much of his money in the first couple of years of his contract versus Najoku's that seems to be a bit back-loaded. Now, I know the Browns tend to have a little bit of differences in terms of how they structure contracts with free agents or players they acquire via trade or those that are what they you know, will call homegrown talent. But Jack, if you could just high level, what are the differences between the Austin Hooper contract and the David Njoku contract 
in terms of what the Browns are expecting from the tight end number one position? Yeah, so when we're talking about backloading um, and frontloading, we're talking about the cash here, and that's what Joel Corey's focused on. He's not talking about min salaries in year one, stuff like that, because that's when you get into like structure of it for salary cap purposes. So you've got two different conversations. The conversation that will go on between the player, agent, and every – well, the player's agent and the team is all about – guaranteed cash flows because it's how much you get in year one of the deal how much you get in year two and then how much in year three year four and which the years are guaranteed then you start looking at hey we'll do it as a signing bonus rather than base salary because then that backloads it for cap purposes but what joel was on about is hey if if you're doing a deal with a free agent like austin hooper they're going to get more favorable terms because they're going to go, hey, I, I want over 50% of the cash in the first two years. Whereas if you look at David Njoku's contract, it's not going to be that. Um, and even in Denzel Ward, the cash flows weren't super favorable, but the guarantees are really strong. So it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of it, but it's all about sort of how the, the cash moves because what you would want as a player is like Austin Hooper had of he got over half the deal paid to him in the first two years. And then that third year became a nine and a half million option. Um, and the Browns decided not to take that option. Whereas David Njoku's could be, hey, 10, 12, 13 million by the time we get to year three and year four options. That then leaves it a lot easier for the team to go, hey, I'm not, I'm not walk away from this. But it's also the aspect of, David Njoku's getting more money because they're paying and hoping for that potential. They've effectively, before we see the full terms of the deal, they've given him 17 million. That's effectively what they've guaranteed in the second year above what he was going to get for the um, franchise tag. And then what he's effectively given back in that deal is two option years at 14 million, which could turn out to be cheap, but it, this isn't like the Miles Garrett. This isn't like the Denzel Ward deal where you're paying a star level money for a proven star. This is the riskiest deal that the front office has made. And it, it could blow up in their face. Um, obviously, hey, any deal can blow up in your face. Miles Garrett could go off, smack someone with a helmet or get injured and not play again. But in terms of on the field, this deal has much more risk than anything else they've done in terms of player contracts in the irony with it, i think if you're the browns we talk a lot about guardrails and draft picks and stuff so the one thing that njoku has on his side he's completed five years in the nfl you know he was obviously in that 2017 draft class and he hasn't even turned 26 yet his birthday i think is in the middle of the summer so this is the guy you're saying okay you know, we talk about it during the draft and development process that sometimes when you take a 20 year old or you take a 21 year old, they're not 100 percent ready to play in the NFL yet. So in essence, those la that first couple of years that they're in the league are really kind of their developmental years in terms of what they would normally get later at in college. I mean, there's some players literally coming out of college that are as old as David Njoku, who has five years of NFL experience. So when we talk about, you know, Njoku's getting I think this is one of the pros, obviously you're trying to think at where the Browns are coming from. Why would I give a guy who has never had more than 639 yards in a season, you know, has never scored more than, you know, four touchdowns in a season. Like, you know, why am I giving him 14, $13 million effectively making him a top five paid tight end in the league? Well, it's because he's going to be 26 and you're hoping 
this is now the prime of his career. So the Browns are really banking on this being the prime of David Njoku's career. And I know a lot of people are quick to, you know, to shit on Austin Hooper, but I do think that Austin Hooper tremendously helped Njoku in his blocking and learning to be that all around tight end. And to your point, Jack, the Browns rewarded Hooper and said, here's 70% of your money. You can go off to Tennessee now and play. Hey, Njoku, here's all your money. You know, we talked about sequencing contracts. Well, this was a little bit of a backdoor way to do it. But, you know, at this point, you're paying for the hope that Njoku can pick up that Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper type of role where you're looking at 800 to 1100 yards continuously from your tight end number one, because he has the athletic profile to do it. And Corey even mentioned in terms of like comparing him to Gasicki and some of the other guys, Najoku's strength is that yak, that yards after reception. So now that he's bigger, he's stronger, he's faster. You know, for a guy like David, that's hard to say. The guy's built like a Nigerian God, but you're hoping that that yak can now turn into, you know, let's say he has 60, 70 catches well, 640 yards now becomes 900, right? So you're getting more yak. Yeah, and here's a question for you guys. So you've obviously got Omari Cooper's 20 million is uh, what he's on this year. Obviously, they've restructured that to move it back. You've got David Njoku who's now on roughly 14 million. Who is next in terms of the receiver room? So we're talking tight ends and wide receivers. And what is their cap number for this year? Zaman, in terms of money or performance? In terms of money. Paul, I'll let you go take a shot. Uh, explain the question again, Jack, so I, I, we understand so, it. So, out of tight ends and um, wide receivers, Amari Cooper's the highest paid. David Chokers is the second highest paid. Who's third? Who's the third? Oh, Jesus. Um, Anthony Swartz, because he's fourth round. Is fourth. I don't think we've got any free agents, so mm. is Hooper's dead cap? No, Harrison Bright is a third round pick. No, Harrison Bryant's fifth. Uh 1.1 million, same as Schwartz. Jakeem Grant? Yes. Jakeem oh, Grant is the third most expensive, 1.8 million. But that's a really important thing to note with this. If they've paid Hooper, uh paid Njoku, but last year we had OBJ, Jarvis Landry, and Austin Hooper. And that was about 45 million between those two players. And we've gone to our top two players now having 34 and then a lot cheaper. So the room is a lot cheaper and you can't go all the way down to nothing because if you have Amari Cooper and nothing, it's not going to be effective. And that's not to say, hey, Donovan Peoples-Jones isn't going to be an important player, but it's still a really, really cheap receiving room. Um, so there is certainly the option of doing this. Have they slightly overpaid? Yes. But if they weren't doing this, they're not throwing the bag at Christian Kirk or someone else. Keeping in the wide receiver room, Mary Kay Cabot has said, Browns insider, number two wide receivers, not a priority for the Cleveland Browns. How do you feel about that, Jack? I think it's smart. So people are talking about defensive tackle, tight end, wide receiver. Should we go out and add someone now? I think the, the thing is, let these youngsters fight it out for a couple of weeks, if not a month. And then let's reassess then. Because if you sign a DT now, you're saying to um, basically half the room, hey, you've got no chance of making the roster. And with the wide receivers, I want to see what Isaiah Weston's got. I want to see what Schwartz has got. I want to see what these other guys have got before I go, hey, we're going to sign Will Fuller. And you guys, yeah, you're not making the roster. Um, and the same with 
tight end. It's like, hey, let, let's see if any of these guys produce. There is so many solid options out there in free agency that can do a serviceable job. These guys aren't going to be superstars, but they can do a job that there is no need to rush this. And who knows, Isaiah Weston, um, Isaiah Thomas, these guys could come in and do a really good job. And I'm, I'm talking a really good job for a fourth, fifth sort of edge there, uh, sort of third DT, fourth DT. Let these guys battle and see what happens. Um, I would rather give it a little bit of time than rush in and make a bad move and you're suddenly cutting a, a camp star because you rushed into earlier free agency. T.Y. Hilton is not in talks with Cleveland. Will Fuller isn't on the radar too. These are some of the headlines coming in today, Jack. Any surprises there? I'm still surprised there's not been movement on Will Fuller. We heard all off-season it's Deshaun Watson and Will Fuller. That's the one that's happening. And to me, I still think there's a chance. Yeah. Any chance Will Fuller's still rehabbing an injury from the last yeah. three years of his career? Yeah, I, I, I think that's it's certainly the case that Will Fuller comes in, um, however they do it, and um, it could be one that he's not even healthy until the season starts. I, I don't know his timeline. Um, when, when they want him, they might go out and get him. It might be that someone else hits IR, um, and then he's the guy that they bring in and uh, can go out and compete. Let's full, full disclosure with Fuller. He knows Watson. He knows how to run a route. Like you don't, to your point, Jack. You don't need him here. I mean, Will Fuller. It's not like he's some intricate route runner. I mean, that's kind of Amari Cooper stick. Fuller runs go routes. He's either banking right or he's banking to the middle of the field. So as long as Deshaun Watson knows if he's going right or center, and who knows, maybe it's Jacoby Brissett or whoever it is. That's all you really need. I don't need Will Fuller here risking his you know potential of getting injured because you're gonna have to pay him ten million. I'm not a Will Fuller guy. I will sleep much easier if we don't sign him. But still, I mean, if that's the route they want to go, that's the route they go. And you sign him to like one million, maybe two million guaranteed, and everything else is incentives. Um, so it's one that if someone goes down, say DPJ goes down in camp, hey, I'm picking the phone straight up to Will Fuller and going, hey, give me someone that can come in with less than a week's notice, and Deshaun Watson's got chemistry and we can roll. He's top of that list. We did mention a little bit. Uh, there was another contract. It's because, like I said, it's been a little while since we've all gotten together, you know, timing and all that other stuff. The Browns did add a piece to the defensive edge room, which we talked a little bit about D tackle. Were you surprised to see Clowney sign this early? Is there really an incentive for him to sign? Or was it just one of those things the Browns are like, listen, stop jerking us around, sign this damn thing and, show up here and then you can go home for two months yeah i think the pressure's just on him that if he waited out much longer they could be saying hey we're gonna go sign trey flowers or something else and then suddenly his view of oh i'm gonna get x amount suddenly becomes is anyone gonna give me six seven because no one's got money so um i i think it got to a stage where options started going off the table and he had to make the call or there was one, two other teams that were interested in him and then they didn't come forward and then suddenly it's like, yep, I'll sign the last deal. And all this nonsense of like 14, 15... I, the only way I can see that 14, 15 million a year being true is if it's somebody signed a... offered a, hey, we'll give you 8 million a year one and then we'll give you 12 million a year two as an option and then we'll give you whatever it is, 
20 million to round it up to that number, but only the first year is guaranteed, um, which no sensible player is ever going to sign. Yeah, or it's your some incentive. Kamara for a pumped up nonsense. Yeah, or it's incentive deal. Like if you're first team all pro, here's another five. Like the max, max. Because, Jack, how many times have we said it? When the first reports of numbers come out, take it with a huge grain of salt because once you get into the recipe, you find out there's really not as much in there as uh, we thought. But in terms of the clowny deal, Jack, I know that you were, uh, you threw a bullseye on this one. So, What's the breakdown of the Clowney deal and overall when we combine it with the Garrett deal, what, what shape does that put the defensive line um, in cap wise and dollar allocation wise? Yeah. So they're in a nice position that they're going to need to roll over basically as much as this cap space as they possibly can, because they're going to need that next year. But um, the deal works out as a 1.25 million base, 8 million signing bonus. Um, So that's the, Hey, he's got that 9.25 million. And then there's um, three quarters of a mil in per game roster bonuses. So for every 17, every one out of the 17 games he plays, he gets a 17th of that money. Um, but yeah, Ian Rappaport just put out the tweet saying, hey, this is how much is guaranteed. one year deal. And I was like, hey, it's going to be this many void years. This is going to be the base salary. This is going to be a signing bonus. And this will be the uh, per game roster bonuses. And not a dollar off. Um, insane guys we've got six minutes left want to talk something Baker Mayfield he's still a Browns player officially uh, a lot of people were saying now Panthers wanted to pay five million of his salary how do you feel about that uh, Jack yeah I've, I've said for a long long time there's no there's no need to hurry on any of this wait till somebody goes down and we'll cash in then um, we might ease some of the money, but, but yeah, it's fine. Um, doesn't really bother me. Um, it's a waiting game. I, I wrote on it that, hey, when we get to training camp and he's still there, that's when we start seeing, hey, what's going to happen? And and that's the point where we know it's, if he's not on a roster by training camp, it's about holding out for an injury. Um, and the funny thing is that Jimmy G is injured and the NFL media is writing up all these lovely stories about how, hey, he's got a rehab before a team would ever trade for him. And it's like, I know a quarterback that's coming off an injury and um, apparently he's held hostage in pretty much the same situation. I think the dynamic there is Baker Mayfield will always be a lightning rod to those in the media, right? Baker's one of those guys that generates clicks whether it was his time at Oklahoma versus Kansas. I mean, people love to read about Baker because he just has that, you know, that BDE, so to say, for all of you that know that acronym. Jimmy G is just some quiet Eastern Illinois guy that maybe went out with a porn star. Rumor has it. Nobody really talks about him much. He's in San Francisco. But yeah, I mean, I think that's really what it is, is, the Browns have become fodder for the league. You know, I saw your boy, Jason, talking about the Najoku deal. You know, oh, agents are going to get real friendly with Cleveland, the way they're handing out contracts. So I think right now you're noticing that the media coverage of the Browns is pivoting. And I told people a while back, it's going to be difficult to be a Browns fan. You're going to get hooked and baited by a lot of communications, whether they're written by national guys, local guys, whatever it is you're going to be no longer the lovable losers, right? You're not the Chicago Cubs. You are now the team 
that has the controversy, right? That has the Baker Mayfield this versus the Deshaun Watson that. Two completely different sides of the coin, but both lightning rods in terms of media coverage. You know, I mean, the Browns signed Clowney and everyone's like, oh, okay, moving on. Yeah, the, it, look at the Pats. The Pats dynasty was covered in these sort of stories of like, hey, the world hates us. We hate the world. And hey, no, no, no. People writing about Cleveland having the best roster in the NFL, that doesn't come with, hey, isn't it lovely? It comes with, ah. Yeah, I, I will just tell you the number of times that when people find out I'm from the Cleveland area and I'm out here, the the way they talk about the Browns now is not how they used to talk about the Browns. When the Browns were 0-16, 1-15, 4-12, 5, we remember those days, at least I do. You know, Paul, you've been in First Energy Stadium many a times and watched those losses. There was a lot of empathy, right? Oh, the Browns. Now, there's a lot of vitriol towards the Browns. People uh, aren't too happy, and many people are out there are rooting for the Browns to fail. It's just, it's just a fact. Let's move on to uh, Sean Watson for the last three minutes. Ian, how was the press or how was the uh, coverage over the last week with all the stuff coming out on Deshaun Watson? I've, I will say this, and Watson's situation is, is what it is, right? There's a lot of proceedings that have to go out. A lot of information comes out. There's a general fundamental lack of understanding about how the American legal system works in terms of civil cases and settlements and all this type of stuff. So I'll, I'll stay away from that, but I don't know if a lot of people know this or not, but do you guys remember the McDonald's games with the monopoly pieces where you'd buy a large fry or you'd buy a large drink and you'd you'd pull off the pieces and you'd try to do the monopolies and stuff. We still get that in the UK. You, well, did you know that that was an entirely large fraudulent scheme that was like scammed to win? The, the documentary piece. It's fantastic. Paul, do you want to know why a majority of people have no idea that that whole thing was a fraud? The day the court case started was September 11th, 2001. Deshaun Watson, now different things, but Deshaun Watson's HBO thing was the night before the tragedy down in Uvalde, Texas. So sports media, all of them, covered that rightfully so to just try to understand that so i'm not saying he's fortunate in that sense because obviously that type of documentary you know harbors its own uh emotions for people but for the most part it was not a headline story it wasn't talked about on get up on espns or fox sports and all that stuff because there was other things going on rightfully so that should have been discussed now i do think that it's one of those things where once we get into a little bit more and it's more than just the local media covering Watson in an orange Jersey, throwing immaculate seven yard passes against no defenders. And yes, that is a shot at Brown's Twitter who are hyping up less than glorified practice guys. Let, let, come on now. I literally could walk down to my local high school and see that stuff. Um, but I do think it's going to come King back. Grant shouldn't go in the second round of fantasy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I will say the the one that cracked me up, and I, I won't call out who did it, but there was a video of a defensive back walking backwards and then pretending to knock a ball away where it was then labeled that this guy was going to be a breakout defensive rookie of the year candidate. I, I would just pump the brakes on that one. 
just pump the brakes on that one. Um, but I do think it's one of those things where the Watson story and the HBO documentary largely went uncovered. I don't really know how much more it adds to the story. You know, a lot of this stuff from Jenny Varentis's article is kind of just being rehashed from, you know, a year and a half ago. We kind of know the details. So at this point, it's just kind of going through the, the legal process. Um, but yeah, that's, there really hasn't been much discussion about it. I think, I don't know how much new information it really added. It just kind of put a face to some of the names. And the issue we've got with this whole um, suspension saga coming more to sort of what happens on and around the field is this is the first time with this new process that the NFLPA were unhappy with how the league were doing things and pushed and got ratified a new suspension process, um, less power for Goodell. Um, and we don't, no one knows how it's going to play out. So why we've got loads of people, hey, we've got the Peter King saying six, we've got the Andrew Brandt saying 10 or more. We, we've got lots of people guessing. But as far as I'm aware, it's all guessing because we were told, hey, it, it's always with these suspensions. The last people they chat to is the player. We're expecting this within the next couple of days. And then suddenly it turns into, oh, well, the meeting was just about to set dates for future meetings because it's not about the old process that lots of people have built there. It's everything off of, we genuinely have no idea what's about to come out. I think it's just a unique situation that the league's in because as we know from past issues, past instances whether it's domestic violence or sexual assault or i mean look even last night we had the tragedy with you know former first round cornerback jeff gladney uh passing away in a car accident you know players have been involved in off-field stuff and unfortunately what happens is is you can't really compare like kind situations right they've never had instances where you had so many different accusers that all have different levels, right? So it's almost impossible for the league, which has no legal authority. You know, they don't have the power to subpoena. They don't have really the power to do anything like that. They just have an independent investigators that really kind of look at things individually and say, you know, how do we figure out what we can do within the realms of what we're allowed to do, whether it's the players association, you know, that's the thing, Paul, is it's, it's such a, a widespread issue. Is there, is there criminal? No, there's not criminal. Is there civil? Is it going to be settled? I mean, the league has to just sit back and go, what the hell are we going to do? How do we manage this? Like, you know, that that's in essence, the issue that they're running into is they have no idea what they're supposed to do with this. Um, interesting article that um, today about the Sean Watson, he um, passed for 21 uh, touchdowns with his tight ends. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, they had said a little bit there in terms of like Jordan Akins and Darren Fells, but also remember Houston didn't really have a ton of receiving targets. Yeah. <laughs> I um, think I think they have to look at it as the Browns are going to build that room regardless of, you know, because look, the league hasn't really given a much certainty on Deshaun Watson. There's, there's just Stefanski, Barry, they're sitting there saying, you know what? We got Amari Cooper. He's going to highlight this room. We got David Njoku. He's going to highlight this room. We've got Nick Chubb. We've got Kareem Hunt. They're going to highlight these rooms, right? So, Paul, we've kind of got these, th these three, you know, and then a half or four, if you want to count in the running backs. Those are going to be the main load bearers of your offense. Whether you have Jacoby Brissett, whether you have Josh Dobbs, Baker Mayfield, whoever it is, right? 
if Deshaun Watson gets eight games, if he gets six games, if he gets 10 games, who knows? We, we don't know. Hopefully for the Browns sake, they can figure this out because it's just so much reckless speculation about it. But the Browns are going to say, listen, whoever the quarterback is, whoever's taking snaps from Nick Harris, this is what you got. Cause I don't think that there's a, I don't think it was a accident that the three quarterbacks they had all have kind of a mobile skill set, have the ability to extend plays. You know, they're not just these lethargic stand in the pocket passers. And listen, I'm not saying Baker's not that way either. Baker was also a mobile quarterback in terms of being able to move around. But I don't think the offense is going to change too much, whether they have Deshaun Watson, whether they have Jacoby Brissett or whether they have Josh Dobbs back there. I just, I, I just don't see the fundamentals of the Stefanski offense changing that much. They just want a guy that can deliver, you know, in Watson's case with his money, top five NFL quarterback play. All right, Ed, Jack's left us due to we've bored him too much. Um, Anything else you want to cover before we finish up this podcast? We've gone over our usual 15-minute limit. Well, do you want to cover kind of your initial thoughts on your travel plans? I know that you would uh you have the World Cup coming up. You have, you know, a couple things. Yeah, I think I think it's common knowledge now. I'm going for the the first away game in Charlotte, then making my way up through the uh, Bourbon Trail, maybe Atlanta, Nashville, Charleston. Savannah up into Cleveland. So that's it really. And then uh, I'll stay uh, six days in Cleveland and then come back to London. Well, there it is. If you want to get yourself a taste of Paul Brown, that's the way to do it right there. So. Yeah. Awesome. And then I think on this, no, it can't be. Then I, then I have one week because week three would be early for us because we're on a Thursday and then week four, it's Vikings versus the Saints. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Listen, it's it's crazy to think now we're a stone's throw from turning the calendar into June, you know, and the next thing you know, it's going to be August preseason. And, you know, come that weekend of September 10th, 11th, you know, we're going to have NFL football back. So it's, it's crazy. It's felt like, you know, the draft was just the other day and here we are now turning the calendar into June. So uh, any, you want to give the people any updates on the life of Paul Brown? Uh, you've been doing a little bit of traveling. You had some holiday. Uh, yeah, I'm off to uh, sunny Italy on Friday. So super excited about that. Another stag party. No, it's actually like every so, one of your mates has been married in a stag party, which puts you in Ibiza and yeah, it's a bit of a problem in a nice way that I want to be traveling the world, new places. And I keep going back to the same old places, but, um, yeah, not too much of an issue, but yeah. This weekend, I've got a one-way ticket into Italy. I've got to go right down to the bottom and then hopefully make my way back up to London using uh, local tra- uh, local transport. So, um, yeah, let's see what happens. Totally uh, spontaneous trip. Very nice. I think one of these days, the wife and I will get down there to the, uh, the, Itali- the, the country of Italia and hit up that Amalfi Coast and stuff like that. You know, we, we, we do fancy ourselves some of the, uh, the red vino, so... Well, that area is very expensive. Something like seven hundred to thousand dollars a night for a hotel around there in August. It is one of the most expensive places in the world. Well, we'll have to figure out the Paul Brown secret travel uh, strategies in terms of how to stay on an affordable dime. Yeah, I can give you some tips there. First of all, 
put yourself on a train overnight and see what happens really. So uh, that always saves on hotel bills. Absolutely. So, but listen, as the world changes with Deshaun Watson and you know, the NFL and who knows, I mean, we could just be sitting on our couch one day and there it comes. Uh, So as of right now, you know, it's pretty quiet and that's again, not a, not a bad thing. Obviously, you know, with the passing today of Jeff Gladney, the NFL has, you know, another tragedy that it's going to have to deal with amongst its players. But, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll get some conclusions of the Baker drama. You know, obviously, I'm still team Baker. Uh, so who knows? I mean, the Browns say what you want. This is the dead season in terms of the uh, the content. So it's, you know, sometimes you just kind of kind of sit back and let a couple of weeks to, you know, accrue before you can jump on and say some stuff. But it's all going to start moving here quick. So we got to enjoy our little bit of downtime now because who knows in the next couple weeks, we could have a lot more to talk about. All right. Well, I'll finish up by saying go Browns, go Browns.